Welcome into our first weekly edition of the front office for this 2023 Ravens season. I'm Tony Lombardi with Russell Street Report, and I'm joined by Brian McFarlane, also of Russell Street Report. Brian, welcome, and a new season, just like that, is here. Yeah, kind of crazy. Time flies, but uh, definitely looking forward to it. It was a long off season. had Lamar's contract. They were late to the party for some free agent additions, and then there were some subtractions from the roster. Fans perhaps inspired in part by the vocal outrage of some of the 105.7 of the fan talking heads lashed out at Eric DaCosta and Steve Bishotti. Eventually, cooler heads prevailed, and now the Ravens feel like they're in the mix to be amongst the league's best teams. Yeah, I mean, no doubt, and they should feel that way. And obviously, the I, I think I think I would I can't speak for all fans, but I think the most exciting part is seeing what uh, Todd Munkin can do with this offense and uh, what changes there will be. And uh, obviously it's the easily the best set of receivers they probably ever had. So uh, except, uh, I mean, maybe going back all the way as, as far as you and I go back, I'm not sure the younger fans remember, but I will remember, but you know, the Michael Jackson and Derek Alexander uh, in that first year were, I think they're both thousand yard receivers because um, that's partly also because it, that team couldn't play defense, so they had to keep throwing the ball. But, um, but yeah, it's exciting, and I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, um, ex- where I think we're all expecting big things for Lamar with the big contract, and now uh, the seemingly the right pieces, and then uh, uh, the right uh, coordinator. You know, it seems that each year the healthiest teams are the ones that advance the furthest in the playoffs, and it's also, I think, Brian about which teams are better at exploiting the weaknesses of other teams than their own weaknesses are exploited. And I think that comes down to coaching and schematics. So you brought up the Todd Munkin and, you know, one of the things that has impressed me all along from the time they hired him to the times through training camp is that he really emphasizes on putting players in position to succeed. And that's easier said than done, but I think he takes it a step further and that, he wants to take a specific skill set, and if that skill set, let's say, for instance, it's OBJ one day. If he thinks that skill set can, can really manipulate the Bengals' defense more so than Zay Flowers, then OBJ will be the featured guy. If the next week they're playing the Browns and he said, you know what, dual tight ends with Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely are going to do it to the Cleveland Browns. I really like that approach. It's not like he's taking an offense – running his offense and saying to the other team, stop us if you can. And that seems to have been the approach of Greg Roman. So I really like this Todd Munkin approach. And I think it also keeps all the players engaged. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, it, it, you know, he's got a he's got a nice track record. And, um, you know, it seems like his offenses have looked different in each stop. I mean, obviously, largely the same, but there's, you know, some twists that he seems to, I mean, we always heard about Greg Roman's however many page playbook he had that it never seemed like we got past <laughs> page five or six, maybe um, out of a hundred or so, whatever, whatever that, whatever the quote was. So it seems like Munkin can, uh, you know, at, is able to get to those extra pages and find other things that, um, you know, obviously once he gets a feel for everybody and, you know, how they're working in the game that he can find. Plus, there were, I mean, even in the preseason, there were some routes where it seemed like he was getting guys open 
so to speak, as opposed to the, yeah, as much as the player, as much as the receiver was getting open, they were doing things to be able to get, uh, you know, to, to get those receivers open uh, just through the scheme. Yeah. And that, that's a good point because I know in watching him during practices, either OTAs or, or training camp, he would always watch not who even just the primary receiver was on a, on a given pass play, but also what the other receivers were doing because what they do is vital to creating the space that you just alluded to. And if one isn't there, then the other one might be. So I think he designed an offense to spread the field, make easy throws for his quarterback, and also to check down. The check downs are easier because they're almost like in the same sight lines, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't know – how many times last year after games, Twitter was a lot of the, you know, they got a lot of the guys that do film study, um, you know, national guys were posting things of, you know, three Ravens receivers standing right next to each other, right. You know, in their route or their routes converging on each other. And um, whether that was scheme or whether that was people screwing up, I, I doesn't seem like, well, at least hopefully it doesn't seem like that's going to be what's going to, you know, going to happen this year. Yeah, and when you – I don't mean this to be a session where we're throwing Greg Roman under the bus because there's a lot of good things he did, particularly in the running game. Absolutely, yeah. And I even asked a couple of the beat guys out there who watch the, the Ravens practice all the time, and I said, look, from a novice perspective being mine, if – could they marry together Greg Roman's running attack with Todd Munkin's passing attack. I mean, it seems like a simple thing because a lot of coaching staff stayed the same. So why not just not change anything with the running game, but change things with the passing game? And the vibe I got from people was that, yeah, it's not all that easy. And I wonder if maybe egos might get in the way that, you know, okay, this is Greg's piece and this is my piece, but this he wants to be all Todd's piece. So I I wondered if if there was a way of meshing together because we haven't really seen much of the, the RPOs in preseason games. Now I know they don't like to show much, so it'll be really interesting on Sunday if they do get back to some of that. I know they want Lamar to get the ball out of his hands quicker. They don't want to risk him, but at the same time, I think taking that away from an offense, given the unique skill set of Lamar Jackson, would be detrimental to the overall effectiveness of the offense. Yeah, no, I would agree, and I would think you know, obviously, I'm I, this that isn't a uh, that I can think of a real component that Munkins had had a you know a, a huge piece of his offense. Although, and I'm trying to remember the his quarterback at Georgia last year had some decent wheels and did some running, but I don't remember if it was designed runs or just um, RPOs or just scrambling. Um, so, whoops, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's kind of all part of that, I guess, that, you know, um, that the, the package under the Christmas tree of what this offense is going to look like. And uh, tomorrow's – or not tomorrow, but this weekend is kind of like Christmas Day in that in that sense. Yeah, the guy you're referring to is Stenson Bennett, the guy that – Yeah, Bennett, yes. More people had hoped would be drafted by the Ravens. But he's apparently doing pretty decently out there in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think he looked pretty good in the preseason from one little uh, part of a game I saw. So, Brian, a lot of things have changed. A lot of players have been added. It seemed to come in a hurry following the Lamar signing. And, you know, you got Zay Flowers, you got Rashad Bateman, you got OBJ, which who signed a big one-year deal, something out of character for the Ravens. They used some 
voidable option years in his contract. So let's get to it. Let's talk a little bit about the Ravens' salary cap. I know you sent out a tweet today. Let our listeners know where the Ravens are as of this moment and when they have to make a change with their salary cap picture. Right. So from what we, I, I'm going to I'm going to uh, um, qualify this as, as as what we know as of this moment. But um, as of this moment, based on all the numbers that are out there, they're a little over two million dollars over the cap. And the reason for that is the rule as of midnight tonight, the rule of 51 ends, which is the offseason way of accounting for uh, for this cap, which only basically counts the top 51 players against the cap. And I don't know the Matt why 51 when a roster's 53. I've never understood that. I've never gotten an answer for that or seen an answer to that. Um, but since rosters are 90, you can't, it's hard to fit 90 guys under the cap. So the, and, and you can't make acquisitions if everybody counted like that. So the top 51 count until midnight tonight. And at that point, everybody counts. So it goes from 51 to the 53 man roster. Uh, that will then include guys on IR, guys on PUP, guys on NFI, and then the practice squad. So, and that takes, I mean, the practice squad all by itself is a four, is $4 million. Um, so when you cat, when you put that all together and they've got what, seven guys on reserve list between, uh, IR and NFI. Um, so, you know, when you put all that together, then that gets them to $2 million, uh, just over $2 million over the cap. Now, I say by I was qualifying that because my guess is they I mean, they're not going to wait till 1159 and restructure a contract. They are um, they already have. It just hasn't either hit the uh, NFL Management Council, which some of the national reporters have access to or the NFLPA, which a lot of reporters have access to. So that we may not hear for a day or two. I'm sure they're going to be under for sure. Um then it's just a question of how far under they go because there are uh, there are there's going to be money needed the rest of the season uh, for you know every week they can they can call up two players from the practice squad uh, elevate them um, those will cost you know per game per player probably forty to fifty thousand so it's not a huge number but over the course of the season that could be two million dollars. Um, and then, of course, uh, there will be, unfortunately, there'll be further injuries. So they're going to need, a, you know, kind of an injury replacement fund. And then just uh, as he's done in the past and was not able to do um, two years ago, um, Eric DaCosta likes to swing big at the trade deadline and be it Marcus Peters or Roquan Smith. Um, you know, that that is really, uh, you know, changed the trajectory of the defense both times. So. There's got to be some extra money left for that as well. So they're definitely go, there's going to need to be a restructure just to get them under the cap as of tonight. But there will probably be more than one, uh, maybe two or three, depending on where they decide to go with that to create money to operate throughout the offseason. I'm, I'm sorry, throughout the season and then some extra to um, obviously to have for, you know, a midseason trade. I, I want to get into this a little bit deeper, Brian, but before I get there, I did want to ask you in this past off season, let's face it on Sunday, the off season is over. It has officially ended and the news, the, the real season is starting the regular season. And 
we're off to the races with the cap management as you described it. Now, any off-season surprises that happened or didn't happen in, in your opinion? Um, you mean from a cap perspective or from uh, just a player acquisition or you know, guys retained they, sh- they I wouldn't expect? I mean, I can do, do well, both. I, I mean, you know, from a cap perspective in order to, th- to define things that didn't happen and from things that happened, maybe some players that moved on that you thought would kind of raise an eyebrow or two. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they had any um, any great surprises as guys they didn't retain. I mean, you know, every year there's going to be guys you'd like to have back, but you can't. Um, you know, the one I guess the one I guess in a way is surprising. We obviously don't know what the details are, but uh, Calais Campbell not returning. Um, I was kind of surprising to me. I thought they would rework his contract. Um, the only reason I thought he wasn't going to be here would be if he decided that he, and you remember everything was up in the air when free agency was going on. Um, so Lamar was still under the tag and was he going to stay? Were they going to trade him? You know, all those kinds of things. So I, I thought Campbell would only leave to go to a contender. Well, he ended up in Atlanta, who I don't think anybody considers a contender, certainly this year. So that one probably of all the departures, that one probably um, surprises me the most. Um, from a cap perspective, I think what surprised me was how heavily they went into void years. Um, and we've talked about those before, and they're not some great tactic there. And they did it because they had to at that point, because Lamar was ten counting $10 million. I mean, right now, they're, as we just discussed, they're $2 million over the cap right now. If Lamar was still under that tag, they'd be $12 million over. Um, so when he signed the contract, his cap number came down by $10 million. So, um, you know, from that perspective, uh, they needed to use the void years. Um, it wasn't something that they were like, oh, this is a great idea. <laughs> it's we got to do this because they were trying to, at that time trying to protect, um, you know, protect their investment in Lamar and the idea that if anybody came along with a, uh, with an offer sheet that they could match it. And, you know, Beckham signed for 15 million, his cap number is a little over three. Um, so right there, that's, uh, you know, that's showing how they were spreading that money out. Now, you know, there's, there's a drawback to that, which could come next year, which, um, you know, could be $11 million in dead money if he's not re-signed for whatever reason, whether he gets a better offer somewhere else or this year doesn't go the way anybody hopes. Um, so, you know, that's a big drawback and that's certainly why, you know, I've never been a big advocate of using them, but they, you know, they were taking their swing, whether, you know, that was, um, you know, part of the reason they were able to bridge the gap with Lamar. Look, you know, we just, you know, we, we, and I guess Lamar signed before the draft. So, um, but you know, we've got your, you know, we've got your veteran guy and Bateman's coming back healthy you know, and then obviously we're going to look to add supplements of the draft, which they did in the first round. So, you know, they had to use, I mean, they, they had to use those at that time. I, you know, we'll see, I don't anticipate them using them. They, they, they were the one of the last teams to actually use a void year. Um, so my guess is we won't see those in the future unless we get into another scenario like this again. Brian, from, for those deals that do include those voidable options, what is the potential – I don't know if you'll have this off the top of your head or not, but what's the potential worst-case scenario 
in terms of its impact on the 2024 cap? Yeah, so um, I I added it up a while ago, but so there's seven players who have void years um, going from obviously Beckham at the, at the at the pinnacle, so to speak, with 11 million. Zeidler would be four million in dead money. Uh, Pierce would be about two and a half. Gus Edwards almost two. Aguilar a little over one point seven. Yassine 1.6 and then Geno Stone just 600. So if if any of those if if those players aren't re-signed, the all those void years accelerate. So I believe that was about I think when I added up is about 20. Yeah, so it's almost 24 million in dead money. So that's and now I'm in the way I've been calculating, I'm including that as 24 million in dead money. Um, and hope that, you know, some of those guys, at least some of those guys are re-signed. Um, but, you know, again, they had to do it at the time because they had to maximize their cap space in case Lamar got an, an offer sheet that they could match. And then it was kind of, you know, them showing the world, don't bother. And I think it was, it turned out to be, while it seemed very dangerous at the time, <laughs> I think it obviously turned out to be they handled it exactly the right way. Uh, and of course, they got Lamar back under contract for a you know very fair deal for both sides. So, um, and and more than Lamar would have gotten a couple of years ago. So you know him pushing the envelope or whatever you want to call it, uh, or, or standing up for himself or you know whatever you want to call it has worked out well for him as well. So, but that's the drawback to void years uh, is that you know, and Beckham is probably. I mean, he's the scary one because it's eleven million dollars. You know, I mean, that's that's a that's almost half of that twenty twenty three. So, um, so that's the drawback to him. And now, if any of them resign, the void years stay in place as long as that contract covers the void years. So, they it would still count. Um, you know, basically their bonus proration. I think all of them are. I think they took them all out five years. So, Beckham, for instance, if he resigns for four years then that 11 million will count about 2.7 each year. So I did, and that, that just keeps it spread out. The problem with void years is if the player's not resigned, they all accelerate into that, that year, that void year. One player I wanted to discuss with you, Brian, is a guy who was a beneficiary of an escalator because he was an all pro returner. I'm talking about wide receiver, Devin Duvernay. He has a, $4.5 million cap figure in 2023. And first, I think it's a position, the return specialist that's being legislated, at least in part, out of the game because of the way they're handling kickoffs, the directional efficiencies of punters and, and things like that. So the impact that a return specialist makes on the game being minimized, it seems a little bit more each year. So when you consider that, you consider the wide receiver room that they have right now, I think Duvernay is like the fifth receiver in that room. The only one I think he's above in the pecking order is Tylen uh, Wallace. So with that in mind, it just seems to be a glaringly big number for a fifth receiver and a return specialist. Your thoughts on that, and are you still so? Are you surprised that that still is the figure, or or did you think that they were going to try to trim that, extend them a year, just to make it like they have in the past with similar players to make it a more cap friendly uh, deal? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought he he and um, Patrick Ricard were two places where if uh, veterans and obviously Duvernay's still in his rookie deal, so he's not a, a, a huge veteran per se, but where veterans might be uh, at risk. Um, obviously, there, there was no there were no reports of them attempting to trade Duvernay. Usually that kind of stuff kind of maybe comes comes out at some point. Um He's he's a free agent next year too, just like you know, just about everybody in that room, other than uh, Bateman and Flowers. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, it is a little odd. Um, now maybe they have you know bigger plans for him than we realize. Uh, maybe because of Beckham's age and, and injury history, and and you know Bateman's injuries, they felt that was a worthwhile investment as uh he's not obviously he's not those guys but um he started off last season as the number two and actually you know looked pretty good and then uh, things started falling apart for whatever reason so and i think he got banged up a little himself so um yeah so i mean i think that one probably surprised me but once he wasn't cut at at first cut down i mean a, fi- a final cut downs or traded at that point i mean to me that means they expect him to be here now could he be a guy they've gone to and they're trying to work out a pay cut and, you know, he can be paid through incentives and, you know, try and, um, you know, lower that cap number this year. They've done that to certain players right up till, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the first game uh, in the past, they've done that a few times. So maybe that's where they're hoping to get that $2 million in cap space they need, or at least part of it. So, I mean, that's still possible, but, I mean, at this point, I would think he's here because you're running him in practice. He gets hurt. Then you owe him the whole 4.5. Whereas, you know, if you cut him to a week ago, you know, you get the whole 4.5. So I, I think the fact that they're risking it, so to speak, I don't know if that's the right term, but that they're risking it, I would think that means they intend for him to be here. Brian, you mentioned a little earlier that you know, Eric DaCosta likes to swing big at the trade deadline, and, and you brought up the uh, Roquan Smith trade and the Marcus Peters trade, both of which made big impacts for the balance of those seasons once those trades were made. And I, I know that I can't remember the name of the player. It was a couple of years ago where the Ravens were kind of cat strapped at the deadline and couldn't really swing a deal that they wanted to. So my guess is that he wants that flexibility to be able to make a trade because let's face it, if you find a, a partner that has cap issues and they're failing in 2023, chances are they're willing to give that guy up to save some cap space going forward That if for a nominal price, much like they did with Peters and with Roquan, relatively speaking. So when you look at the cap space and you want to try to create space, let's talk a little bit about some of the players the Ravens currently have under contract where they could create some cap savings and give – him that cushion he's looking for, Eric DaCosta, that is, at the trade deadline so that he could swing a, a trade at that point. So what are, who are some of the players that are likely restructure candidates? Yeah, I mean, so they have not restructured anyone so far. So, I mean, now they obviously, again, they've used void years to, set, you know, in a way restructure some of those guys that were about to be free agents. But of their veterans who are under long-term deals, uh, for the most part, they have not restructured anyone. So you, the top two candidates, uh, well, I shouldn't say top, the top two cap savings from a restructure. 
are Ronnie Stanley, which is a little over seven and a half, and Marlon Humphrey, that's about 7.2. Now, those two have been restructured twice or three times already. So their cap numbers for the future, every time you restructure, that that restructure amount gets spread out over the remaining um, uh, length of the deal. So that's something you have to be mindful of with those two, because, for instance, Ronnie Stanley next year, his cap number is already because of these restructures is already 20, um, a little over 26 million. Um, whereas the average of his deal uh, was, I think, 19.8 or something like that, or maybe just over 20. So um, that's already pretty substantial. You restructure them again, that cap number probably goes up to 28 to 29, which is pretty high. And, you know, obviously he's had his injury history as well. So I would think they would hold off on that one as long as they could. Humphrey's cap numbers tw about 21 next year. So he's hey, there's a possibility there. Um, but then they have other candidates who they either haven't restructured yet at all or um, or in Mark Andrews, they did restructure last year, but there's about 4.5 there. Uh, Lamar, first year of his deal, which makes it a lot easier because it's it's spread out over five years. So you can really get a lot of cap savings. Um, there's five million there. Uh, Roquan Smith is 2.7. Uh, Tyus Bowser, 1.7. So we're getting smaller. Um, you know, uh, McCary about 1.4, uh, Moses about 1.4. So, I mean, they do have that ability, um, to make if they, I mean, if they want to truly maximize it, they could make, you know, they could make 24 million in cap space. Um, not saying that that would be smart on all of those, because again, you are trading future cap for present cap, but you know, right now, if they just did Humphrey, that would give them pretty much what they would need probably for most of the season um i'm pretty much right on would be my guess that would and then then it's just a matter of a one more restructure to have enough money for trade deadline and the thing about the trade deadline is if you wait till the trade deadline you can only restructure the remaining salary because that's all that's left if you restructure it now you can restructure the full salary um, so they don't want, I mean, they could certainly, depending upon who it is and where they are, I mean, they can keep some of these guys in their back pocket, but if they really, they want to maximize the savings from Marlon Humphrey, for instance, again, it's 7.2. If they do it now, they get the whole 7.2. If they wait till half of halfway through the season, they can only, they can only create uh, 3.6. So, you know, that'll be, I, so I think they will do. They'll try to create now what they will need, not only for now, but for injuries, for the practice squad elevations, and also for the trade deadline. So I would think we'll probably see two or three. Um, we'll find out, I should say, about two or three over the next couple of days. I would think, based upon what you're saying, that I know you said Marlin triggers about 7.2, but Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and Roquan, for me, I, I think those are guys that are going to perform to the level of their restructured numbers, perhaps more so than the others. And the reason I say that because we, we've seen with Ronnie Stanley how, you know, he can be somewhat eccentric. 
and we don't know where his love for the game resides at this point in time. So he could go into one of those funks again and, and, you know, not participate in OTAs and all that happy stuff. So I, I think Marlon, on the other hand, I think is a guy that loves to play the game, but the trouble with him is he's what, 30 years old now. Um, yeah. Is he that old now? And, you know, corners, Get to be third. Maybe he's about twenty-eight. I'll have to look that up. But yeah, I'll, I got it right here. Um, he's twenty-seven now. Twenty-seven. Okay. Okay. Well, so, then he's, I don't he's, know why he's safe Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, he obviously gets dinged up a little bit too, and so I mean, I think and his cap numbers are already, you know, they're growing some. So yeah, he's he just turned twenty-seven in July. So, um, so he's a, a young twenty-seven, I guess we'll say. Um. So, but no, I think, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, looking at that Lamar, Andrews, Roquan, that's about 12 million. Um, so that would, you know, that probably creates enough, obviously barring a, you know, some major injuries. And then if they did it that way, they could keep Marlin in their back pocket, so to speak. And if they need to restructure him at mid season again, they could create six. They could create an additional three and a half or three point six million, uh, but it's also not pushing. It's only pushing three point six million into the future as well. So it's not pushing the whole seven point two. So that that may be you know strategically that may make some more sense. I mean Lamar and Roquan make perfect sense now because they're in the essentially the first year of their deals. So you're not you're spreading that out over the length of the deal. Uh, as they're younger and you know so I certainly think that makes sense and and Andrews although obviously he's banged up right now he you know he always is a guy that seems to when the bell rings he's there so you know that that probably is not not any uh you know not a great not as great of a risk I think Stanley's the biggest risk just because of everything that's happened over the last couple of years he certainly looked good last year but now you know whether they're giving him you know, uh, veteran days off because they're just trying to make sure they don't tax the ankle too much or hopefully, fingers crossed, there's not, you know, some some residual issue there. So that that would be the last one I would do just because they've restructured him three times already. And that cap number is getting pretty big for next year. I mean, cap number almost 27 is pretty big already. Yeah, I, I look at a guy like Moses. This is his final year, isn't it? No, he's got another two. I think his was a four-year deal. So that you know, it could it could be his final year. Um, but um, yeah, and that's only you know that's not a huge savings anyway. You're you're really looking at the Stanley, Humphrey, Jackson, um, Andrews, and Roquan, where you're getting you know two point seven and above per player. And then of course Duvernay, if they you know decided to do something there, I. Um, you know, I don't think they're I don't think they're going to cut anybody at this point. But again, if they've been trying to get a, you know, that's too much. You're not going to get any. You're not going to get that much elsewhere. Let's figure something else out for both of us. I don't see an extension for him because I don't think it behooves anybody because I don't think I mean, he 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 probably he wants a bigger role and I don't think he's going to have a bigger role here. So why lock himself into a second, you know, another year next year? Um Whereas he next year he can go somewhere else and maybe, you know, maybe find an opening where he can, uh, you know, excel. Brian, do you have a handle on where their uh, 2024 cap picture looks like at this point in time? I know there's a lot of variables to that because there's a lot of players who aren't under contract next year and there's 
you know, there's a limited amount of players that are still signed, but any idea what that might look like at this point? Yeah. Um, and it, it's not particularly pretty <laughs> at this time. Um, and a, a lot of that is, you know, the biggest variable is this, you know, 20, uh, 23 million in void years. What's going to happen with those? Cause um, if they all resign, then a, a lot of those, uh, numbers come down, certainly Beckham's being the most. I mean, if Zeitler resigns, his cap number is going to be more than that 4.2 uh, that he's scheduled now, so that's going to go up. But right now, assuming a $250 million cap, I would hope it's higher. Um, a lot seem to be thinking it's going to be 255 but I always try to be a little conservative with it. Um, but right now, they... Um, they have about with the void years included, they have about 17 million, but uh, in cap space, but that is with only about 36 players under contract, technically 36 players under contract. Again, moving those guys with void years out because they're technically they're under contract, but they're not because those contracts were void uh, at the beginning of the uh, league year. Uh, unless again, unless we, uh, unless we signed to a new deal. So, um, if you go down to, you know, again, if you go down to 36 players really under contract, then you that means you've got, what, 15 just to get to the rule of 51. Um, at a minimum, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be 8 to 10 million right there by itself just to get up to 51 to have players, new, new signings not necessarily count. So that takes a big chunk out of that 17 um and um that that's you know it's not going to leave them with a lot i mean you know, like i said we just as we just saw they're right now they've they've gone with the end of roll of 51 uh at midnight they're going from over six million down to you know 2.3 in the hole so you know that's an eight million dollar swing a plus eight million plus swing right there so unfortunately ten million dollars in cap space uh, isn't a lot <laughs> by any stretch. Um, and when you think about all the other expenses they'll have the draft and everything else. So, um, so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really tight next year. Um, now I haven't, I haven't looked into who on the team may not be here next year um, and what that cap savings would be. Um, but just scrolling my eyes through the list, it really isn't uh I mean, it really isn't a lot, but you know, you've got Lamar at thirty over thirty-two million. Uh, again, Stanley without a restructure at twenty-six. Uh, Humphrey at twenty-one. Andrews will be almost seventeen. Roquan is at uh, thirteen and a half, and and it's very top-heavy. Um, and uh, Marcus Williams will be at at almost nineteen. And then the next person is Bowser at seven and a half. Um, and then you've got some, you know. Uh, six and a half and fives and things like that. So that's where a guy like Morgan Moses may be, you know, at risk. Um, Macari may be at risk next year. Ricard, I think, certainly is at risk next year. Um, but there's not a there's not going to be a guy that they're going to cut and they're going to save ten million from, you know, or two guys save twenty million from. So that's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be tight next year for sure. Years ago, I had an opportunity to sit down with Steve Bishotti when we used to do the Ravens wrap down at the Green Carroll Ocean City. And one of the things he said, and I'm going to paraphrase, is that 
they want to operate and handle their cap in a way that allows them to be competitive every year. Lately, with the voidable options and the picture you just painted for 2024, it seems like they're all in this year to try to win it all. And I'm wondering if you feel the same, given the things we've been talking about, or if you just think this is just the way this particular year unfolded, given all the uncertainty from this past offseason. I think it's both. I mean, and, and that's kind of not really giving a, you know, a hundred percent answer, but I think it's kind of both. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think they had to get a veteran receiver here and which meant they had to outbid everybody for Beckham. I mean, it sounded like Beckham was going to the jets till, you know, the Ravens kind of blew him out of the water. Um, so I, so, I mean, there's, so I think, that and using the void years and again a lot of that was to make sure they could secure Lamar and then it's kind of like we'll do what we have to we'll do what we need to do after that good bad or otherwise they've got him secured now obviously they brought Clowney in for pretty cheap they brought you know two corners in for relatively cheap um so but I think it does seem like that now I will I want to qualify one thing as of 2019, obviously, Lamar was still on the rookie deal, but they were in great cap shape at that point. And then the pandemic happened and the cap went from what, 198 to one went down 18 million. Um, and then the next year in 21, it just took a it took a bump, but not a huge bump. And then this year it took a huge bump. And now hopefully we got the TV money should be fully kicked in the gambling money is only really starting to kick in. So it should jump substantially, but they were in, they were set up in a really nice spot at that point. And I think to you, to your point, what Bishotti said is we, you know, we want to keep, keep a clean cap. And they, they, for a large part, they had for a long time. And, and they're not the only team obviously that suffered. I mean, 18 million, I mean, they're, they're planning out their, the, you know, their five-year plan in 19 and they're like, damn, everything's looking great here. You know, and then the cap goes down by 18. And to be honest with you, it probably should be 15 to 20 more this year than it already is. And if that's the case, then they didn't have to, they wouldn't have used void years. Um, right. And, you know, next year it'll catch up more, but it's still going to be behind where it otherwise would have been, you know, whether they, you know, whether it'll catch up more. So they're not, you know, 15 to 20 behind. It's really only eight to 10 behind by next year. Um, so, I mean, and again, every team had to go through that. And, you know, I've, as I've said before, that's why that's why void years became such a big deal. Not because, oh, this is such some great newfangled thing that, you know, that somebody figured out this great accounting thing. No, it's because teams were forced to just to get under the cap when it dropped down 18 million dollars. When, again, they were, at, you know, uh, uh, whatever, seven months earlier they were planning their cap based on it going up and up and up. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what they really ran into, but again, you know, every team had to deal with it. Um, but no, I, so I think it's a little of both, but I think for sure the Beckham signing was, was twofold. One, we're all in, but we're all in for Lamar. Maybe, maybe that's the right way to say it. What they did this off season was all about being in for Lamar, whether he's going to be under the tag, or whether they were going to be able to re-sign him or whether they were going to be able to, um, 
you know, scare other teams away from giving him an offer sheet. That's what this offseason was about. And now, you know, and if they have to, uh, you know, take a step back next year, maybe because of these void years, I mean, they've got Lamar under contract for three more after that. So, you know, and Lamar, you know, they'll be able to, Lamar will be uh, for sure. Lamar at that 32 million will be um, restructured next year. I would think when they're against that tight cap. So, you know, they're, they got to, they had to do what they had to do. So whether that's all in, I, I like I said, I think the better way to saying it, it was all in for Lamar. Well, Brian, you've successfully addressed the yes and no part of your question. <laughs> so, uh, what's your outlook for this Sunday? Well, you know, they they always under Harbaugh, they've always seemed to start hot. Under Lamar, they've always seemed to start hot. So, um, they've they have a history of you know keeping rookie quarterbacks in check. Uh, you know, in their, you know, in their rookie seasons, not, you know, not, that's not a hundred percent, but, you know, for a large majority of it. So, uh, you know, I think they're probably, um, you know, I mean, it's a game they, well, the game they need to win. It's Lamar's, you know, it's Munkin's, uh, you know, opening act. It's Lamar showing the world, you know, from everybody, you know, all, a lot of reports, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He wants to prove all these other teams wrong that, dropped out and said, we're not interested. We're not interested. We're not interested. So, um, you know, I think that bodes well for not just game one, but for the season. And again, health is always going to be uh, the major issue. Uh, the only concern, I guess, for week one is do they, are they looking ahead to week two and going to Cincinnati? Um, but, uh, you know, so as long as they keep their head on their shoulders, uh, you know, I don't think, I think Houston's getting their act together, but I don't think they're they're there yet. Certainly, um, so I you know I think it should be. What's the, I don't we've, I haven't even looked. What's the line? It's ten points. Ten points. You know I don't know that they'll cover that. I I think they'll come close. I mean you know you always get the backdoor cover at the end of the game when the game's out of reach and the other team scores that late touchdown. You know so. You go from, uh, you know, a uh, you know, 14 or 15 point lead down to eight, you know, by a late touchdown, um, you know, and it, it does it. And they don't cover, but they still won pretty, you know, handily. So I, I would think, you know, I'm hoping and you know, but I think they should be in good shape. And uh, like I said, whether they cover or not, I, I think they should win by more than a touchdown and hopefully by uh, hopefully they do cover and make it real easy for us and, you know, make kind of a more enjoyable party than it's already going to be. Yeah. I think the schedule plays up pretty well for them to start the season in terms of facing these young quarterbacks at home, you know, against the Texans and the Colts. And then they're on the road against the Bengals and the Browns. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think the level of competition isn't, all that threatening given the absence of Marlon Humphrey, at least for this game and, and possibly that first quarter of the season. Well, I mean, the Bengals, obviously, if you can that set game two, if you can get in there and sneak out of there with a win, I mean, that just sets your season up. Um, I mean, the first three, the first three AFC North games are all on the road. If they can somehow take two of those three, um, even if it's not the Bengals, but they win the other two, if they can somehow take two of those three, I mean, you're in great shape then because then you get them all at home later. And obviously, 
you know, with the Steelers and Bengals, that ha- home field hasn't in any direction hasn't always meant <laughs> anything. It seems like sometimes we win more on the road against those teams, and they were they win more here. But um, you know, I, that's that's the key. I mean, they've got over three road games in a row at one point, and one of those being over uh, in London. So that's not great. But if they can get through this early stretch, you know, in good shape and healthy, um, you know, I think that sets up for the end of the season where they're at home more. They've got the bye late. I think it's like week 12. Um, so that's, a uh, you know, if you can stay healthy to that point, that's a perfect uh, time to, you know, rest and, you know, and, and re, uh, you know, re-energize. So um, it's just, just those first three AFC North games on the road is a little scary. But obviously, first things first is taking care of the Texans on Sunday and not making it harder on yourself. One week at a time. You got it. This week, it all starts. September and October should be pretty exciting here in the land of pleasant living with the Ravens getting back to it and the Orioles in the thick of it all. So should be yeah, fun over the next couple of months. Absolutely. I look forward to some Sunday being not sure which game I want to watch <laughs> as opposed to, you know, September and October is over the last, what, tw- uh, six or seven or eight years. It's just been, okay, I don't care about the Orioles, you know, once football season starts. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you that just from an interest in our Utah Street Report versus our Russell Street Report, that by this time, everybody was balls to the walls on Russell Street Report because the Orioles were said and done by then. But it's exciting, and and, uh, I'm looking forward to see how it ends. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, Brian, thanks for joining me today here on the front office. This was our inaugural 2023 podcast and we'll be back with one a week for the balance of the season thanks for listening